Welcome to Your Teen with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph. And we are the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today we are talking with the wonderful Hannah Ray Leach, our producer, since the very first episode. Hello, and by hello. the way, this is per her request. She's been <laughs> our podcast producer since the very beginning of this show, but also hosts her own podcasts, Sleepover Cinema with her sister, and Wholehearted on her own. And we're just going to get right into it with her as she's here right now. And we have a lot, a lot to talk about. We really do. It's been a long time coming. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for permitting me to be on the mic today. Wait, you know you have to be here regardless. You're just on the opposite side. (laughs) Oh, yes. But they get to hear my my, uh, quips this time. Excellent. (laughs) Okay, so the setup today is we're going to ask Hannah some questions, and then she's going to ask us some questions. So, do you have one guest who rose above all the rest? And just tell us what made them stand out. Yes, totally. So should I tell them how old I am just for context? Why not? So they know? Okay. So just for context, dear listeners, I do not have children. I am 26. But I have gleaned some good uh, knowledge from working on your team. And my favorite guest... The guest who has risen above for me was Paul Tuff, for sure. And I know that he's not so much about parenting, but he's more about the college admissions process. Um, Actually, he would not agree. He thinks he's about access, equity and access. Well, he really is about equity and access. Because he didn't go to college, by the way, Hannah. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. Well, because I listened to the audiobook of The Years That Matter Most because the interview we did with him was so interesting. And I am uh, I'm an NYU graduate, and you know, that inflates your ego. It's true. And uh, listening to him talk, and he's like, you know, so much of it has to do with your background and what you can afford. I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> duh. Like, why didn't I ever think of that before? So, you know, knocked down many pegs as I should have been. And he was really fun and entertaining. So love him. I know you love him, Sue. It's yeah. true. Yeah. All right. So, Hannah, I am sure there have been times in your life where you think, <laughs> when I'm a mom, I'll never do that. Have you heard anything here in our little soundproof booth that made you say that? Okay, so I thought about this one for a while because sometimes, well, I don't know if I can say this, but sometimes Sue and Steph will say, I would never do thing X, whatever it is. And sometimes like, I'll think about it and I'm like, hmm, does that apply to me? And (laughs) there isn't any specific thing that really stood out to me as uh, something I wouldn't do. But there is one thing that we had a subject, like we had an episode on and I was like, I don't know. It might be kind of controversial though. Go for it. it. Go for it. Okay. So we did an episode with this author who wrote a book about her child's transition. And the author made it a little bit about her a little more than I thought was appropriate. But at the same time, I do see that there are a lot of parents that are going through gender identity stuff with their kids. And so I see why it's there and I think it's valuable, but I don't know if I would be the one to do it. But you're the the wrong generation for the struggle. You don't have the struggle. So our generation needs her and her complete bravery 
to come out and say, this was super hard for me and I sucked at it and I made a ton of mistakes. And now I'm the biggest advocate and I love my kid to death. Like, yeah, yeah. That's a really important story to tell. So I think my kids would agree with you. Like, hey, honey, this is not your story, but mm-hmm. it is. And it's so many of ours and we just don't know what to make of it. So she was really yeah. brave. Yeah, I love that she said it actually. I love that she said that because I think that moms listening to that would feel relieved, validated versus hearing her just come right out and be this cheerleader. You'd be like, what's wrong with me? It would be another layer because it's why we started your teen, right? Because moms feel like I'm Mm -hmm. the only one going through this. So I think had she not shared that piece of the story, it would be another moment for moms who are dealing with this with one of their kids to say, another time, like that I just, I sucked. Because I didn't look look where she is. Mm-hmm. But Hannah, it makes perfect sense that you felt that way. Mm-hmm. I was I, I actually I was guessing that was what you were gonna say before oh, you said really? it. Yeah. I really That's I, funny. Yeah, because I think like what touches me in those stories pisses my kids off. <laughs> so I have that lens. That's interesting. Yeah. When yeah. I send them something to say, like, oh my God, this is amazing, the response <laughs> I get is I, I said it to one of my kids, I sent an article to one of my kids about something that we disagree on. And she said, oh, so now we're bragging about being good human beings. And I was Uh-oh. like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So I get a lot of you. Mm. Yes. <laughs> okay, how about the reverse? Have you jotted down any notes about advice you just don't want to forget? Like, I might not even have to do with parenting because a lot of our stuff is about relationships. So that piece that changed how you look at the world. Yeah, definitely. So I know that this is like a super ubiquitous piece of advice that comes up in like so many different ways almost every episode, but can you guess what it's going to be? Listen? Oh, no, but kind of. Yeah. Coming from a place of curiosity. Uh, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. Um, ding. Just, especially because I teach teenagers a couple nights a week at a music school and um, trying to level instead of preach is hard sometimes. And I feel like that's really like the main ethos of it. And, oh, there was one other one, which is... But I do love that one, that you yeah, took away I mean, that one, because yeah. we talk about that one all the time. Yeah, it's perfect, because it, it protects you and it protects them. It's like no one's feelings have to get hurt, or at least it's not as uh like possible. But the other one is, it was about... I think it was an episode about, like, when your kid, like, when you're just fighting, like, really nastily or, like, your kid's coming at you with, like, really bad energy. Just, like, to take the high road, like, at all costs. Like, even if it hurts really badly, like, just to try and take the high road no matter what. Obviously, that's really hard. I feel like especially with teenagers, it is kind of what you have to do to get by, especially if they're being mean. And I'm lucky because the kids I watch or the kids I teach are still think I'm cool because I'm not that much older than them. But it's very much stowed away in my brain for future use to just take the high road. If every parent had just those two, it would be a total coup mm-hmm. for parenting. Because those, I mean... Yes, I agree. Right? I mean, I feel like the, the the curiosity is a little easier to come by. The rising above it, oh, talk mm-hmm. about restraint, right? <laughs> like one, for oh, me, yeah. the curiosity oh, comes yeah. naturally. And I feel like it's very authentic. The rising above it takes incredible restraint. The rising above it changes all your relationships. So it, 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 I mean, I've, I've done it as a parent and I've 
done it in times where there was absolutely no reason for me to do it, except that I knew I had to, other than saving the relationship, not because there was a, a role in here for me to say, I'm sorry, or anything like that. But then it starts to be, you know, it starts to feel like this is not a game of who's right and who's wrong and who won and who didn't. This is about our relationship. Hannah, let's talk about you as a teen, which is really hard to imagine because we always think that you, your maturity (laughs) is so crazy. It's so hard for me to imagine you as a teen. How would you describe yourself? Oh man. Okay. So I would say that I am 80% exactly the same in like, I've always like done a lot of things, like done a lot of creative projects and stuff like that. And my personality my look, my voice pitch has been the same since I was in like sixth grade. But I was really in my own world. That's a big thing. Very much in my own world. Late bloomer in a lot of ways, I would say. And very um, concerned with what people thought of me and how I was perceived. I was also very obsessed with like dieting and weight loss. That was a big part of my high school experience, which is very much not the case now. But uh, I got in trouble a lot. (laughs) Um, More in middle school than in high school, but early high school, middle school, I lied a lot. I got in trouble a lot. My mom and I had some really bad years. Um, But other than that, it's pretty much what you see is what you get, I have to say. Is there anything your parents don't know about you from when you were in high school? And of course, we're going to ask you to share it now if there is, but... Right, 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 right. Okay, so as you both know, I am not a very subtle person. Subtlety is not my uh, strong suit at all. So most of the things that I hid from them have now come out at this point because it's been like eight years since I was in high school. But there were a few things that came out later that my dad in particular got mad about, which was, um, so I used to be really afraid of getting in trouble, even though when I would get in trouble, it wouldn't be that bad. But like the reveal of having done something wrong and then getting yelled at was like the worst thing for me. And um, in eighth grade, I probably got like 10 detentions, maybe more for like not doing my, like not putting in enough effort with my history homework. And um, I had a track record of forging whenever I would get like any sort of like bad grade, like anything. I would always like forge signatures. I would always get caught. Like I would always get caught. And then um, in eighth grade, I'd already gotten caught twice in two really bad situations. And then in eighth grade, I was like, I'm doing it again. And so I did it like for all of eighth grade and uh, I never got caught. And I was certain there was a day my parents went to like a parent teacher conference and I had bad grades and I was like, this is going to go bad. And I remember like I was on the computer at home and I was like, this is the last chance I'm going to get to be (laughs) on the internet for a long time. Like better soak this one in. And uh, they came home and my teachers did not mention my detentions and I got away with it. And the crazy thing is that getting away with it is what made me never do it again. Because <laughs> I was like, I could never pull this off ever again. So mostly things like that. School things, grade things, hiding things. Yeah, but it's not so much fun because you already told your parents all these things. We wanted the big reveal. I don't have, <laughs> I, I cannot keep secrets. It's disappointing, uh, but true. <laughs> I have to say. Okay, so um, let's talk about your parents. Okay. Since for sure they're going to be listening to this, we want deep and (laughs) unabiding honesty. Okay, okay. 
anything you promise that you'll never do that they did. Like when I'm a parent, I will mm. never say. I, okay, two things. I think the first thing is I will not restrict media as much as they did. Because while I actually recently have kind of come to understand why they did it so much, it's just because I was like a very uh, like absorbent kid, for lack of a better term. Like I just really like everything impacted me a lot, but kind of like putting limits on things made me want it more and made me like break rules more and then get in trouble. So that was bad. And then also I will not allow my child to go on Weight Watchers. That is one thing I will not do. And I don't I don't think that they knew better when they did it. Uh, I think that they heard an eighth grader have like weight, like express insecurity. And then they were like, let us help you. But I will not do that <laughs> when I am a parent. I just won't. It'll be hard no matter what. But like, I don't look, f- I want to have kids, but I'm also uh, very nervous for when I actually have to do it because it seems very hard. Um, it is, but you know what? You, you do one day at a time. You get, you're, you're handed right. a baby. If you, if you yep. got handed a teenager, <laughs> all, none of us would ever do it. Right. <laughs> um, okay, so now you're a little bit removed from that time, and you can mm-hmm. look back and say, wow, I really appreciate that they did this. Yes, okay. So I have a silly one, and I have a, a, a deeper one. So the silly one is that when I was in high school, despite there being some stricter rules, I did not have a curfew. And the way that I indicated that I was home at the end of the night is I would go into my parents' room, and my mom requested that I put a piece of fruit on her nightstand. So if she woke up in the middle of the night and wanted to know if I was home or not, she would just see, is there a banana on my nightstand? And if there was... I was home. So that was great. And then the other thing, and my sister and I have talked about this a lot lately, is that we both um, grew up to pursue creative careers. And my sister majored in film and I majored in like writing and both risky-ish fields to go into. And there was never a time that our parents like, let their suggestions of, like, a more sensible option, like, float to the surface. Like, they were just very unrelentingly supportive of the things we wanted to do. And I know that's not the case for, like, a lot of people, even my friends included. And um, we're both very grateful to have been supported in such a, like, comprehensive way, for sure. That's beautiful. That is a good one. They were, my parents were really good parents, I have to say, very, very good parents. That's so nice. I wish I had more gossip. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's so lovely. Okay, so as you know, we asked this question of all of our guests. What is the biggest myth about raising teenagers? <laughs> okay, biggest myth about raising teenagers is that it has to be a like life-threatening experience. I feel like one thing that I've learned through this show is that there are so many resources out there and there are so many people that are like itching to connect and like help each other through these really difficult situations with raising teens. And yeah, so I guess that it has to be super isolating and challenging. It's going to be hard, but there are people out there that can help. Like your teen media. Okay, so now we always take our little break here. And when we come back, 
I at last get to ask Sue and Steph all the questions I've been so curious about for the past two years. So we will be right back. Hi there. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. feel like your mind doesn't have an off switch or that tension is constantly traveling through your body or do you feel tired no matter how much you sleep that's just a few of the many ways stress anxiety and sleeplessness can harm your mind and body so this year why not make small changes to your daily routine that can have a big influence on your mental health and well-being start your year with headspace Headspace is scientifically proven to help you manage your feelings and your mental health. In fact, a recent study proved that in just two weeks, two weeks, Headspace can reduce your stress by 14%. Whether you want to relieve stress and anxiety, sleep better, or improve your focus, Headspace is your everyday dose of mindfulness for real life. And I know for sure that I need to reduce my stress. My stress is a running reel in my brain that doesn't stop about things I'm anxious about, about things I'm not anxious about, about stupid things that I don't know why I'm thinking about them. And when I sit down and turn on Headspace, I do get this feeling of a clear brain, a brain that is calmer. I feel less anxious. However you're feeling, try Headspace at headspace.com slash your teen and get one month free of their entire mindfulness library. This is the best Headspace offer available, so go to headspace.com slash your teen today. Headspace.com slash your teen. Okay, we are back on your team with Sue and stuff, and this is Hannah. This is the voice of Hannah their producer. And I am finally getting to ask Sue and Steph all the questions that I have been curious about, about them and their relationship and their business. So question number one, recap for the listeners who don't know, how did you two meet? I'll take that one. We met through a leadership course. We were on our way to like the first retreat and we met in an airport. 
it's funny. I can still picture where Sue was standing. Like I can picture like talking to her and like <laughs> how she looked new to me. I'm using air quotes. You can't see me, but how she looked like a new face to me. <laughs> so I, can, I, I, I just, I remember mm-hmm. that moment, which is such a funny thing. It's like emblazoned in my head. So you both have been now running your teen at least since I was in high school, because we got the magazine to my house when I was in high school. (laughs) How do you feel that it has changed you as people? So, I I mean, it's hard to say how it hasn't changed me. You Mm -hmm. know, to be light about this conversation, I will tell you the thing that is the most laughable about how it's changed me, because I was already so persistent and tenacious and really had no problem kind of calling somebody 10 times Or if 10 people said no, calling 10 more people if I wanted to do something. Like, that's just never been anything that got in the way for me. And and by the way, hard when you have kids who don't feel the same way. Because you're like, well, just call them again. You're like, no, that's so embarrassing. No. I'm like, (laughs) well, okay. But if you want to go out, why not try and find one more person? (laughs) So I have, like, surpassed my own embarrassing tenacity to a degree (laughs) that is so, like... No big deal for me at all to find uh-huh. out where someone lives and who they're married to and they have different names. I mean, I can unearth anything. We all can, but I, I have the will. Yes. And then I'm more than happy to keep emailing you. Like, for example, on my show Thursday mornings on Facebook, I interviewed Beth Akers, an economist, and she talked about the economics behind higher ed. Now, there's so much being spoken about, about student debt and the cost of higher ed and all those things, but I never heard it from that perspective. And it was fascinating. So I said, hey, do you want to be on our podcast also? To which she said, of course. And then I started. (laughs) (laughs) And there it began. And there it began and has not ended. So Beth Akers, please come on our podcast. Please. I've sent many emails as well. It's a team effort here. It is a team effort. It's true. (laughs) Steph, how do you feel that your teen has changed you? Oh my goodness. So many ways. I think I, I definitely feel like it has softened me in some ways in terms of hearing people's stories and understanding their perspective and realizing that everybody has their truth. And I do find myself, I've never been a black and white person but I'm probably the grayest I've been in some ways. <laughs> and just realizing that um, everybody has their story and their background and why they believe the things they do. And I think the more we can sit in those seats, the more we can communicate. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, I have really, I've loved that. I've really loved that. And I was thinking about this specifically, just um, understanding, you know, how you got to that table or how you got to that, right? Everything that came before you. I think it's so important. So whenever you do talk about the origin of your teen, there's like this thing that comes up, which is that there seems like there was some sort of boiling point or like tipping point in your lives as parents of teens where you were like, is there a resource out there? What's like, I feel lost. I feel confused. Was there a specific reason uh, or like crisis that triggered the desire for resources? Or like, what was the situation? No, I mean, I, I, th- I've i had like crises as a parent and with mm-hmm. my kids and, and over time had access to resources because of your teen that were like life-saving. But I had read Parents Magazine really very religiously. It came once a month and I read it cover to cover. And I, you know, when you would 
dog ear the pages or tear them out because you had paper. Paper, I love paper. <laughs> you know, my example that I always give is I, I have five kids. I had used to have to go to the grocery store with a lot of children in tow. And, mm-hmm. um, and it was overwhelming when the older three were little and they would tantrum and they would, you know, I mean, it was just a lot of public scrutiny going on that was hard for me. And yeah. so I read in Parents Magazine that if you give your kids, if you make little cards for the things you're looking for and let's send them on a scavenger hunt for those things. So, you know, I, I did this one little thing. It was just like a little paragraph in the magazine and it became a fun day at the grocery store. Like we started Aww. to have fun at the grocery store. And I thought, well, you know, you get old, older kids and there is a period, a latency period where parenting is a little easier, but then they hit adolescence and it's like, I'm clueless and I have nowhere to turn. And and I distilled, distilled it for me personally down to two things. One, it felt a little more of a betrayal because it wasn't my story. So how do you talk about those aging kids and this, the problems they're having and not betray them? And number two, like parents stop telling each other. Like it's a very vulnerable time and we're judged so deeply for our kids' behavior. And so it gets really difficult to be the brave one to say, my kid seems depressed and I don't know where to turn. Or, you know, I think my kid might have an eating disorder or anything. Even just my kid is mean to me feels vulnerable because people will say, well, you're mean. So of course you have a mean kid, right? Like it just doesn't (laughs) end. And so, you know, where (laughs) is the opportunity to get information that tells you if what you're dealing with is normal if it's universal or just isolated to your own home, which by the way, is never true. You are never the only one dealing with something. Um, and so it just seemed like a good thing to see whether I was alone in that feeling. And, and most certainly it's universal, that feeling of loneliness when you're parenting teenagers. Um, and so that's, that was what like took me to say, well, I don't know, maybe there's room for something here. Are there some topics that are too loaded to cover? And if so, what are they? Masturbation would definitely be one of those topics that is just a tough one to cover. Even though we we want to talk about it and we think there's a lot to talk about and we think it's something where parents worry about. It fits it fits the criteria in every way except one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it makes it difficult <laughs> um, to cover. Anything that talks about teen sexuality is really uncomfortable for parents. And even parents who question why it's uncomfortable for them. A lot of people just have hard and fast rules and they stand by them. And there are some people who say, well, you know, I'm just not sure. I don't know why, but it just feels really uncomfortable. So everything around our teen sexualities just feels like we don't really know how to handle it well. We probably aren't so comfortable with it ourselves even. So it makes it particularly difficult. Yeah. I know there's another one because we have talked about it before, but please... All right. Well, I'll jump in. So Halloween is a surprisingly (laughs) heated topic. And it was shocking to me. I had no idea there was anything behind Halloween. Number one, there are comments that people make about what girls might be wearing in their costumes. Right. So that's very uncomfortable. People feel strongly one way or the other about kids, teenagers coming to their door, not in costume. Mm -hmm. And And people respond to that topic of conversation with such judgment. Like someone just wrote something in the comments on a a conversation we were having on Facebook Live and said, there's no way I'm going to be the one to deny my kid, any kid, the right to 
hold on to their, I mean, it was so, but you could be the yeah. jerk. Like if you want to be the jerk doing that. So there's a, just an edge on almost every aspect. Like parents mm-hmm. who have kids with disabilities have a really hard time navigating Halloween and feel like it's the one time their kid gets to be a regular kid like everyone else. They're not denied access to this. And yet you might go up to a door and if your kid is visibly different or behaving differently, people will be uncomfortable with that. And so that's a worry for those parents. And then there's this entire discussion about kids going to other neighborhoods. Um, right. And that's in a lot of ways very racially driven. So that gets yeah. very heated. And then someone else will say, not my neighborhood. We are open to all. So you're getting hit from all over on this one, like such a benign day, it seems, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. That's interesting. Okay, so now just a couple questions about your relationship and your friendship. So out of curiosity, do you have any pet peeves about each other? And what are they? Because I need to know. <laughs> uh, do you have one, Steph? I mean, I know you have one, but do you have one you're sharing? (laughs) I have one. (laughs) So I live in a space with a man who I'm married to, I really love very deeply, who Mm -hmm. plays this game on a regular basis called like, but what if? (laughs) And he says like, um, well, I mean, I know that's not going to happen, but what would you do if it happened? To the point where I will just say, we talked about what if either one of us dies, would the other one get married? And he threw out a name and I was like, Okay, you just went too far. <laughs> this was not supposed yeah. to happen. Anyway, so yeah. we play. he plays this game, and I refuse to play this game because I find <laughs> it, like, why would we have to go down a path of something that does not happen, right? Like, mm-hmm. deal, we have enough to deal with. And then I have a business partner who loves the same game. <laughs> and it's like, it is, I'm like, go talk to Dan. Leave me out of this conversation <laughs> yeah. I'm not playing. Yeah. That is my pet peeve. <laughs> Steph, what's yours? So mine is, and Sue touched on it earlier, Sue is always willing to go one more step, maybe it's a few steps, farther (laughs) than I am to either figure someone out or like get, like I'm sitting there wondering it. You know, we go into a meeting and I'm like, hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, what's the background on this person? What's the story? And Sue will so there it's so funny. It's a pet peeve is such a funny one because I'm at, I am sheepish and feel like I want to crawl under the table and I want to hug her at the same time because I was wondering it. I just don't go there. So she takes it right. She's, yeah, she's my yeah, teenager yeah. rolling her eyes in embarrassment. <laughs> but it does serve us well. I and, feel like I've witnessed, yeah. I feel like I've witnessed that dynamic, uh, <laughs> even in our interactions at the beginning. I feel like I've I've played a role in that before too. That's a good one. Hmm. Okay, so now, have you ever had a genuine disagreement or fight, and how did you resolve it? If you did, I remember one time, and of course, it's so funny. I can't remember why or what the topic was. But I remember where we were and we disagreed about something. And we had, it was, I mean, this is going back a number of years. And I just, I remember the feeling of it, feeling like we were at just such different, like we had had words, but nothing like, I don't remember it being um, 
Certainly not like I have with my husband, but just like tension and it really strong tension and leaving there. And by the next day, talking about it and working through whatever the heck it was. And I, you know, it's interesting. I mean, we talk about teenagers and wanting to talk about how things really are. There are definitely tense moments. You know, we've run a business together for 14 years, but we are both very, um, very committed to each other and committed to this business that any tension has been worked through, talked through, resolved, you know? And I think it's just a matter of, you know, I I think we both are people who can say like, oh my God, I'm so sorry I hurt you. I'm sorry I said that. I didn't, you know, like um, we work on it just like anything, like any relationship. So next question, I'm very curious. Do you feel that becoming a parent altered your career path in a negative way? And do you care if so? I feel like I wasn't happy with my career. So um, I would have, if I, I always wanted to be a mom. And I always thought I would work. I never thought the two were mutually exclusive, but we lived in a place with no family. And um, I remember having someone come to the house to interview them, to watch my two kids at the time, and thinking, how does somebody let a person that they're just meeting now stay with these precious, like priceless, how do I do that? I don't have anyone to come and check. There's no grandmother down the street. There's no aunt around the corner. And um, I couldn't do it. So I didn't actually love lawyering that much. And I'm in a large, large group of women that went to law school and don't practice. But I I found total enjoyment in volunteering. And I was lucky enough to be able to do that. And then when I was kind of looking for something else, this, this gift came upon us. Steph, do you have anything? So it definitely altered my career path because we were living in another city and we made a decision probably late in my pregnancy, that we were going to move to Cleveland. And my the company I worked for didn't exist in Cleveland at the time. And so it meant I was going to be giving up my job. And, and it was definitely hard. And so it definitely altered my career path. And I continued to take little jobs and work. And I did go back at one point, but I wouldn't say it altered it in a negative way at all. You know, had I not made that move, had I not, you know, there's all these things that, you know, wouldn't have led me I think, to this path. And like Sue, I always thought I would have kids and work. I never thought any different. And it's funny, looking back now, I think I worked much like my mom did. Like she worked part-time when we were little and then kind of went full-time when we were back in school. And um, yeah, I actually think, and it could be a whole different podcast, that working has um, added a layer to the relationship with our kids that I don't think could exist if I didn't work. And so there's lots of examples where like from when the kids were little and they'd see me sitting at the kitchen table and they'd come in and maybe bring a friend home and I would see them at the door and say, oh, you know, we need to keep it quiet. My mom might be on a work call or my mom, there's a layer of respect in, you know, and I can't articulate it. I mean, of course you could have respect in, and you should have respect in every relationship, but maybe just a respect for my work in a different way and that they had to, a consideration, maybe that's the word, a consideration that the kids realized pretty early on because they don't remember it any different. And I hope a consideration I give them when they're working on something or doing something. So I, I think it's added a really nice layer. 
So there are like a million more questions I could ask both of you. And thankfully, I have borderline unlimited time with you (laughs) in our lives. So our last question for this installment of us gabbing today, what do each of you personally believe is the biggest myth about raising teenagers? I would say that I have a lot more respect for my kids after doing this, that they are, and their friends and teenagers in general, because they are looking to do well in life. Like we go at this as though they're trying to screw up, but they're really not. And, and when they fail and when they err, it's an opportunity. I mean, if I think of myself at 60, I'm so different than I was when I was in my 20s or my teens, as it should be, because I'm living through experiences that I hopefully grow from. So mm-hmm. the idea that our adolescence would be coming out whole and having this sensibility about right and wrong and, and it's so much easier if you just listen to me because I'm the parent and I know better. No, they're going down this path of maturation and we are supposed to be there when it's not working if they ask us. And they might not even ask us and it might be and it likely will still be fine. I had heard oh, those are the worst years. They're going to be awful. They, oh, wait till you have teens. You know, and this is before we started your teen. And I had to take teens over toddlers every time. <laughs> and I just, I, I think I've really loved watching them. And Sue touched on this, that maturation. I, I'm fascinated by them. I've always felt like I have these three science experiments and you know, with two, the same two constant parents and these three Petri dishes (laughs) that are different from each other. Mm -hmm. And I have loved to watch them turn into adults. So I, I think this, this myth that, oh, it's going to be the worst and the hardest and the most challenging. And and it's not that it, sure, I guess it's challenging, but there's so much that comes with it that's so beautiful and rewarding and um, just another part of the ride. Beautifully said. Okay, well, we made it. Yay, Good Hannah. job, everyone. Yay. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I will continue to be present and just not audible as always. So thank <laughs> you for having me. We love you, Hannah. Me. She's the best. Love you too. Thanks for joining us for the Your Teen Podcast. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. If you're someone who reads an article and thinks of that one friend who has to read it too, think of our podcast the same way. Please share with that friend who's going to say, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know about Your Teen with Sue and Steph. And do us a favor and review and rate the show on the podcast platform of your choice. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com, at evergreenpodcast.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Your Team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus producer Hannah Leach and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. We'll see you next time.
Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greeny. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but, you know. We're talking uh, about sustainability, maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the guilty green. There's your first challenge of the week. Avoid (laughs) elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. That's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green.